Money, money, money is where we are. And we have taken for the thesis of last week and the first point this week the, the, uh, from the book The Treasure Principle by uh, Randy Alcorn. He takes this scripture from the Sermon on the Mount and does really wonderful things with just opening it up and unpacking it so we can understand it. Matthew six nineteen, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the treasure principle is, from this part of the Sermon on the Mount, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And that's the treasure principle. Randy gave us five keys of that. The first four we looked at last week, God owns everything, number one. I'm his money manager. God owns everything. The the most dramatic thing I can think of is, is if our house should burn down. My house, my stuff, my, you know, some of it might have actual monetary value. It might have monumental emotional value. It's really all his. And those things, those, those fires are really awful, but it's, it's really God's house that burns, not ours. God owns everything. I'm his money manager. The second key is my heart always goes where I put God's money. Boy, that is so true. If you find your heart wandering from the Lord, check where you're putting your money and start sacrificing some stuff, of material stuff in this world, and get it into God's kingdom. By the way, I'll talk to you next week, the Lord willing, about making those kinds of offerings, the tithe, which is... uh, foundational in this business of the treasure principle and alms giving and relief offerings and that sort of thing. Those three uh, things we will deal with next week, the Lord willing. And I, the, the idea in talking to you about money is, is multifaceted, by the way. First of all, God says do it. That, that's a really good reason. That goes with what I said last week. This is not going to work unless we fear God. If you do not fear God, this is not going to work well. You're going to have trouble getting from God the stuff that he would love to pour out upon you if you don't fear him. So, and that doesn't mean some morbid fear that when a clap of thunder hits that you just are stricken that God is finally going to kill you. You know what you deserve, so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to try to talk you out of that. You know that you do deserve that, but that's not what you get. But we fear God because He is larger than our stuff. He is greater than our power. He is God in a very, very large meaning of that word. And then, on top of that fear, we are able to say, "But I am giving myself to Him." Don't say I am perfect because you're not, and your wife assures us that you're not, and we believe her more than we believe you. So, don't we? I mean, 
If I said, I'm so great, and Eunice said, I know who you'd believe. And uh, so let's, let's, just, let's just keep this in mind. If we have this foundation that God is God and we have this fear of him, then when he says, but I'm not going to kill you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you new life, whatever he says. He says about money, we say, okay, let's go for it. I need it. So that's where we will be and uh, always that way. And we'll get to that, I hope, in a minute. My heart always goes where I put God's money. So put money into God's thing and you'll care more about that. I was, I was writing a check to one of our guys that was going on a missions trip and, and I just wrote a little short note to go with this check. It had to be sent out of town. I said, uh, uh, you'll be getting better prayer since I've got some money invested in this thing. I mean, it's, that's just the way we do it, okay? I mean, it's true. Heaven, not my home. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Heaven, not earth, is my home. That's the third key in this treasure principle. And number four is giving is the only antidote for materialism. Materialism is a, is a heavy load to carry. And you can be... You can be super rich and not be materialistic. You can be grindingly poor and be materialistic. It does not have to do with the amount of money you have. It has to do with whether that has you or the fact that you don't have money has you. So if we're possessed by something other than God, we we will be materialistic. And giving helps us. Now, we in this culture have a different thing. If you get a chance to ask Salome about uh, how it is in Northern Asia, when you ask, when somebody asks you where the missionary is from, remember Northern Asia. And remember in Assemblies of God circles, when you read Northern Asia with reference to missions, that means China. But I'd like to use Northern Asia because they actually Googled her name just to check her out. And of course, Salome comes up right away because there's not that many spelled that way. And um, so remember, Northern Asia, and she can tell you about materialism as far as what they have. And it's, it's a different world. If you haven't been out of the U.S. into a third world, uh, you need to go and just poke around, meet the people, uh, kind of rub shoulders with the day-to-day culture there, and get the picture of what we then have to face with the kind of cash flow that we have in this country. All that said to say this, we do have a serious problem as compared to what some other cultures have in dealing with materialism. Because the more you have, the more susceptible you are, even though you can be you can be absolutely poverty-stricken and be a materialist. Uh, when you've got some stuff and you, you can watch your neighbors and they get new toys and they get this shiny new sheet metal that'll, that'll do uh, zero to 60 miles an hour in under five seconds, whatever, however much they're willing to spend. Uh, you can get that down really low as far as that time from zero to 60 if you're willing to spend the money. But let me tell you this. In the face of materialism, 
The power of God is able to keep us straight. I want to go on record as saying it is a test. It is, it is one of the most difficult tests we will ever face, and that is prosperity. But I am not going to let prosperity take me or you out if I can stop us. We are blessed. We, we are prosperous. Uh, rather than mourning that, Read the treasure, get the little book, The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn. Go to, go to Mardell's and get it. You can find it and read it, memorize it. It will help you. Giving is the only antidote for materialism. The fifth key that Alcorn gives in The Treasure Principle is God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. I, through the years, have taught you how to increase your giving without feeling the pinch of sacrifice. And the Lord convicted me, and I've confessed my, what I thought was a mistake when I, when I did this. Um, but if you ever get a raise, you, say you got your tithe down, you're giving missions, you're giving... Uh, to you're giving alms and, and uh, relief money and uh, whatever need there may be, then you come to this place where you get a raise. Now, some of you may have gone a long time without a raise, but some of you have been getting raises right along. Well, of course, that's automatically going to uh, raise your tithe, the 10% of that. And uh, what I suggest you do is take a significant chunk of that, another tithe of that raise itself, and add it onto your missions, and, and maybe in your mind set aside another tenth of that raise to go toward these other offerings that come up from time to time so that we can give to the needs of people or to the building or whatever the need is. Now, look at this. You've jumped up your giving substantially, and you still get 70% of that raise. Well, I taught, that's the way you do that without sacrificing. And the Lord said, is there some problem with sacrificing? And so I apologize to you for that, for making it that easy. But on the other hand, do that, and then be ready to sacrifice also, Okay. Because we got to get this stuff over. We got to get it over there. We got to get it out of here. I want a reward when I get to heaven. I've had it pretty cushy, okay? I may whine and complain, but don't believe that. I've had it easy in my life. Some of you have been a lot poorer than I ever was. My parents got grown during the Great Depression. And God always blessed them with an adequate income. And their little boy, and I was an only child for eight years, their little boy didn't do without. I had a tricycle out front, a sidewalk bicycle, a kitty car, and a little scooter thing, and a wagon, and a Shetland pony out behind the house. Poor baby. So if you hear me whining about that, ignore me. But you do anyway. So anyway, um, you see... We have this stuff, and then when, when, when Eunice and I married, we went to this church 
And the year before we got there, it had run 35. That was the yearly average for their, uh, for their congregation. And it doubled. I mean, it's like, whoa, we're clear up to 70 people. But it's pretty simple. And it kind of worked out this way. They would support us. They, they gave us a house and utilities and, and the offerings that came to us, which, uh, which was our salary, these things were adequate to, to have a car and, and clothes and food and so forth. If we wanted to go out of town, and you kind of had to go out of town to have fun unless you can really get into table games. Um, and table games are fun. I'm okay with that. But So we would moonlight and go to Phoenix. And... Uh, and he even saved money and went to general counsel and so forth. Well, even so, we were not grindingly poor. We were not poor. It was a pretty simple thing. But if, I, if, if we were walking in the street, if, if she were walking down the street, she'd say, now there goes a little rich girl. And if I were walking down the street, you wouldn't say, bless his heart, he's so poor. You just wouldn't notice. But anyway... Uh, the Lord has blessed us and blessed us, and we have gotten to do ministry overseas. We have gotten to do all this stuff. Okay, in the face of that, I look at some of the Christians and their lifestyle and what it may cost them to be a Christian in Northern Asia, for instance. And I say, I'm not going to have any treasure in heaven. Do you get the message? I want that to pinch you a little bit because it pinches me. I want us to feel the need to get treasures in heaven. The way we do it, of course, is with the tithe, with the alms and relief offerings like agape here in this congregation, and especially with giving to missions. I want to get it out of the family budget. And if I need, if I need to brown bag it, Instead of going to Master Walk or wherever is the cheapest place I can get good food, I want a brown bag it. I, I don't much, but I want that pressure that we've got to get this over there in you. I already have it. <laughs> and if the Lord wants to turn it up, he is welcome to do so because this world is not our home. Heaven is our home. Okay, I, I can really get into that. You may have noticed that. But that's not all I want to say today. Remember, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And so you can give and grow. If you're getting any raises in your income, you can, you can grow without sacrificing. Don't be afraid to sacrifice. You won't die. And the blessing here and later will be far, far greater than you imagine. Uh, the question then comes down, am I going to put God first in everything in my life? Am I going to put God first in everything in my life? Uh, in that same chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just three verses later or something like that, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I want to show you something from Scripture 
that is confused in the, in the Bible-believing sect, section of Christianity in the U.S. And as, a, as a, an illustration of what I want to say, let's look in Mark, the first chapter, beginning with verse 40. A man with le- leprosy came to him, that is Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was, he was cured. The question is, Jesus, you have all this power. And if you want to, you can fix me. And he said, I want to. Now, here is a deal that is very, very important. We have, these, we have these statements. I read them on Facebook. Uh, Facebook is not the source of all good theology, by the way. <laughs> I read stuff like this, and I hear stuff like this in our conversations. God has everything under control. But if we look in, at this deal... This man had leprosy, and God didn't cause that. That was not his will. If it were his will for that guy to have leprosy, then he broke his will by healing him. He, you see, we want, we want the kind of comfort that just comes in and says, you don't have to do anything this moment. God's got you in his arms. Okay, if you're in that bad of shape, that's a true statement. He has you in his arms. He will take care of you. Don't go anywhere else. He's the only one that's safe. However, it is not God's will that babies be born uh, with, with less than normal, whole, little bodies, minds, etc. It is not God's will that people be crushed in a, in a tornado. God is not in control of the weather. We say, God is in control of the weather. Well, why did Jesus jump up and say to the wind and the storm, shh, be quiet? If God were just doing that, he's rebuking his father. No, 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 no. You see, the earth was made, mankind was made, and God gave the operation of the earth to mankind. Yes? Subdue it. It's yours Keep it. Take care of it. Not that long later, Satan came and lied, and man just bought into the deal, and Jesus gave us the rule, whoever you obey, you are their slave. When we obeyed Satan as humankind, Satan got the rule over us, And the fact is that whatever slaves own goes with them into the new house, and the master now owns what the slave owns, which, if you didn't follow that through, means Satan is the prince of the power of the air and will operate in all of the earth as much as he is allowed. Now, we want God to come and fix things. When he has called us, to move back into the place of operating the earth. 
And there is that line that you hear from me all the time. We are God's fellow workers, meaning working shoulder to shoulder in God's field. He owns the field, but he's in there working with us, which is to say, if something needs to be done and God puts it on your heart to do it, it's going to be his power. And God owns this thing, except he doesn't operate this earth at this point. It is our responsibility to step up and break the darkness where there is darkness. Jesus came and gave us the example. This guy says, you got the power, Jesus. If you want to, you can heal me. He says, I do. Be healed. He touched him and he was healed. Now, remember that the will of God is good. It is for healing. Jesus came to express the Father. He finally boiled it down, saying, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, I am come that they might have life, and life with a capital L. Fullness of joy, fullness of life, fullness of peace. If you're overworked and overloaded, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Take my work on you. Take my load on you and learn from me. There's a whole wonderful thing there that we get to know Jesus if we come to him because we're overloaded and overworked. If you are overworked, overloaded, come to Jesus. He has great news. And he, they use the term their yoke because that's what they used as far as their draft animals were concerned when they needed more than the single animal. They used this team, and they had this yoke, which uh, uh, tied two animals together so that they could pull whatever load was. He says, take my yoke, and it might be the very same work to do that you were trying to do by yourself, only now you got Jesus in the yoke with you. Uh, Is there a load you can't pull if Jesus is making it happen? Do you see? Now, this is the, this is, so, so when, and and I know that when we pray and pray and pray, for instance, about a political election, and there are, you see, there's the sovereignty of God in it, it's here, and God is going to bring forth out of the nations, ultimately, he also has, has sovereignly decided where nations will be. If you get on this huge guilt trip about what the European settlers did to the American Indians, if they did them wrongly, there is no excuse for that, and it was sin. However, God sets the boundaries of nations, the Scripture says. That's in the Sermon on the Areopagus uh, in the book of Acts, Paul's sermon there in Athens. Uh, Mars Hill, I guess, is where that was. It's the meeting of the Areopagus. Remember that? He's, anyway, you, you see, there, I don't know how far down this goes, but in the day-to-day stuff, God is not ordering every detail of your life unless you are inviting him and doing what he says. So what we get out of this deal is God's will is only done when we apply God's word. You see... <clears throat> If God were just running everything, then, then when you read in Scripture, bring the tithe, you'd say, man, I've been wondering 
what this drawing was in my heart to give 10% of my money to God. Well, there it is. Now I'm going to do it. No, we look at that and we say, oh my goodness, I can't afford this. There's not any way. And then we start, we start working in faith and God grows us to the place to where we say, I'll just te- you said test me, I'm going to test you, blah, blah, blah. Now, if God's will is going to be done automatically straight across the board, why did Jesus teach us to pray, will of God be done in the Lord's Prayer? Where did that come from? Is he playing games with us? His will is going to be done if we grab hold of ourselves and get down before the Lord and humble ourselves and stay there until he shows us how and what and when. And then we get up and do it in faith and faithfulness. That's when the will of God is done. So when it comes to money, we need to just look at the word of God. And you say, I can't afford it. You can afford to look at the word of God. You can afford that. Let's start there. Let's see what the Word of God says. And then let's decide if it's real and it's true and if we think it's going to work. And if we we just can't come up with the faith, then start praying for faith. Because money and everything else in God's kingdom is about faith. The just live by their faith. Nothing works because I'm so good. And Christianity is about bringing My will submitted to God's will. When I was in Bible school, it was was very important to the the speakers that we had in chapel to get a response from us. And, And some of those kids, young adults, were were pretty straight as far as their lifestyle. So if you wanted to have a response, there was one thing that was always good and could always nail every one of us, and that is start talking about motives. You may be doing the right thing, but it's for the wrong reason. And there's no way to get away from that. You're dead. You're just dead. And so we'd cry, and we'd get down, and we'd try to... and, And I'm not saying that was bad, but it was interesting. They weren't saying... Well, I've got to manipulate these people. Perhaps they were speaking out of their own hearts. I don't know. Maybe they knew that when they did something right, there was a piece of them that had the wrong motive. And I finally dealt with that long enough that I said, Lord, I don't think I'm ever going to have a pure motive. A lot of the time, some of my motive is really good. But almost every time, there is some of it that's bad. But I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. You didn't get it. Doing the right thing is what the Lord wants, and he will heal us until he gets 60, 70, maybe 80% of our motivation kind of cleaned up, and the rest of, the, rest of it will still be, we'll still be bringing to him when the end comes. Don't worry about pure motives. Do the right thing and talk to him about the impure motives. He's good. He's trying to help. He's trying to heal. If you've got a motive that just stays bad and it kind of eats on you, say, Lord, there's got to be a wound in me somewhere that's not getting healed. Would you come in and show me so I can bring the light of God and get rid of some of this stupid motivation I have? I'm tired of of starting to do the right thing, and this inside me just goes, no. And I go in and do the right thing, Lord, but I'd like to get rid of some of that no. He helps. Does this make sense to you? 
Anybody ever try this? Anybody? Nobody? One, two, three, four. Four of us. Well, the Lord has a great, (laughs) you talk about a bunch of good, a a waiting room full of patience to, to get in to see the doc. Welcome. He is a good doctor. He will heal. Christianity is about my will being submitted to God's will. And we come down to what is a, the problem is a divided heart. Proverbs 14, 20 says, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. So we have this divided heart. And uh, if, you've been, if you've been trained that it's really evil because you have more than the person in the next country, then you're going to be guilty because you are rich. That's kind of the, some of the liberal mindset. Uh, they don't want to help the poor. They just don't want there to be any poor. So if we change our system, we won't have any poor. And uh, Jesus said you'd always have poor, but they don't like Jesus either. So uh, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of this double-mindedness. I, I remember a number of years ago, there was a, a guy that was in our congregation, and every once in a while, he'd gather up a bunch of us, and he'd rent uh, one of the suites at Arrowhead Stadium, and we'd go watch football game from inside. <laughs> Live, but inside, and uh, and with all the goodies that you you order out, and and I thought about that scripture: the man who gives gifts has many friends. And uh, he was a nice guy, and he would have had friends without that. But he had a lot of us that were his friends because he was giving gifts, and the the rich. Uh, if if you're in certain circles, the, the rich get honored and they get special favoritism. And James, the second chapter talks about if somebody comes in in a gold ring, you say, sit here and have this place of honor. And if a guy dressed like the rest of us comes in, you, he, you say, sit here on the floor by my feet. Now, if you have that other training, you know, where you have to shun the rich and you have to make a hero out of this poor guy when he actually mismanaged his stuff. And that's the reason he's poor. But, oh, I'm sorry. That just slipped out. But favoritism. See, we get this double-mindedness. We got blah, 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 blah. Over here, I'm, I, I'm, I've got too much. And I'll never get it over into heaven. And that's kind of where I sit. Over here, we have this other thing where you just are, you're just favoring the rich. Or, or if you catch us doing what is really wonderful, and that's favoring the poor. Don't do that. Don't do either one. Favor Jesus. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You're interested in things Lose interest in them and get interested in the kingdom of God, and he will see that you have everything that you need. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that is so powerful, and worry is such a, such a cheater. I heard something that was brand new to me the other day. One of my colleagues was preaching, and he said... Worry is imagination abuse. 
imagination in line with the scripture, in line with the needs of people, in line with the, the resources that are available, imagination is wonderful. A creative imagination can meet so many needs. Worry kills her dead. You can't have a creative thought. You've got to bear the load of the end of the world as you know it being imminent. Did you get that? I don't know how to say that more clearly. I'd, I'd be glad to, to abuse you more severely if I could think of how to do it. We cannot get by with worry. Worry is just, we, it just explodes. And you know where that comes from? Dear one, let me just nail this down for you. Worry comes mostly from where we have had a spirit of fear attach itself to us in our souls. It doesn't mean we're not saved. It doesn't mean we're demon-possessed. It just means we're not free. And Jesus came to set the captive free. And if you will bring that worry, when you get all worried and just your mouth gets dry and you can't sleep, instead of saying, God, what are we going to do? Say, Lord, look at this. Would you please show me where this hurt is so I can, I can speak to that and bring the light of Jesus Christ in there to heal that thing so that my soul can prosper like my spirit. You see, when you're born again, your spirit is prosperous, honey. You're perfect. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to you from the, from the hand of God and from the, the picture that God sees of you. You can die then, go straight to heaven, no sin. Because sin's not going to go into heaven, I don't think. A lot of passages say, outside are, and then it's this long list of negative stuff. But the soul that we bring to the Lord is a mess. And God instantly heals some things in some souls when the Spirit is made new. When you're born again, some of you were addicted to whatever, and instantly it was broken, and you never, ever had to face that again. Some of you brought some addictions with you, and you fought it and fought it and fought it. You may still be fighting it. But ultimately, most of us get rid of those things, and we go on to other projects in our life. You following me? And when Jesus comes to make us whole, Worry is off base. Now, some of you have recently lost your job, or maybe not so recently. I know one of our guys, his body developed an issue where he could not work, and he hasn't worked for quite a while, and, that, and, and now he, he's okay, probably can work, and can't find anything, wherever you are on that. And if you came to the Lord, whatever... There, these worries, see, these worries. And uh, I had a guy, let me, let, me just, let me just use myself as an example. There was a guy who was our head deacon when we went to Duncan, Oklahoma. And after a year or so, he decided that I wasn't what he thought I was when he promoted me and got me elected there. And for about... Six or seven years, he did all he could to get rid of me. And about that time, I started using the Lord's Prayer as my daily prayer outline. <clears throat> so when I'd get down to number five, part two, number 
part one is forgive me as I, and then part two is I forgive others. And when I would say, okay, now, Lord, let's talk about whom I need to forgive. And his face would go shunk, life-size, nose to nose in front of my face. And I would have to deal with that every day of the world. And I learned to be pretty responsive to forgiveness. And I, you know, if, if somebody does you badly and, and goes away and you never see them again and you deal with this forgiveness and you work it through and you get that all settled and you're, you're at peace and you can think about them and there's no stab, that's wonderful. What's hard is when that same person doesn't go anywhere but stays and just sticks you every time you get within reach. So you not see when you get stuck again, you not only have that wound, but it's like that opens up every wound they ever inflicted. So you get to start over. I, at least that's the way it seems to me. Is that the way it seems to you? So this, so I, I worked on this and worked on this and worked on this, and and I think I succeeded sort of. You know, I mean, I I just humble, humble myself. Lord, don't let me get by with any kind of holding of grudges. Don't let. Every morning of the world, I pray, oh, God, don't let me get by with any sin, especially the sin of unforgiveness. Because that's the one he says, if you don't forgive men their sins, your father won't forgive you your sins. And it's like, oh, that's pretty simple. Not easy, but I can understand that. So then we leave there, and uh, it, it got pretty tranquil the last couple of years I was there. As a matter of fact, it's like I almost backslid, which is not true. I've never been in better shape with the Lord than I had been at that time. We got up here, and uh, the Lord was blessing our church, and then it was full. And um, One Sunday morning, this, this tall, distinguished-looking man walked in, and for all the world, it looked exactly like this face that I got every day of the world for years. And I just got sick in my stomach. You ever have that? Boy, that stinks. That really stinks. Now, that's a, that's a theological term. And you know it. You know what that feels like. You've experienced that. Now, this guy that walked in to our church was one of the nicest men that I've ever met. But he looked. See, man, don't forget it, girls. Man looks on the outward appearance. We all, all we can, you know, unless we're really... Perceptive in the spirit, we can't see in their hearts, we see them physically. So that was, that was a, an interesting issue. So I got to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, this pain is still very, very real here. And if we've got pain, dear one, my goal for me and you is that if we have pain anywhere in our lives like that, that we just hang out with Jesus and say, shine right there. And show me what I need to forgive, what I need to be forgiven of, and then how to just shine your light. Because I want us to be able to love each other. I want us to be able to do whatever work God calls us to do. And I want us to be able to give whatever God is calling us to give monetarily. And if we're healed in our spirits, the limits are kind of taken away. And God can just do what he wants to. And that thing that Jesus said, I have come to preach the gospel to the poor, to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, that thing will then be real in us and we'll be free to give whatever God's calling for. If it's right at the check or if it's the time, if it's 
forgiveness that somebody, what somebody's done to, whatever it is, we just do it. You see what I'm saying? This is God's will. Jesus, if you want to, you can make me whole. You can make it so I can give money. You can make it so I can forgive my wife. You can make it my husband. You can make it so I can for, I can um, do whatever job you want in the church or, or to help somebody down the street or whatever God is calling us to do if we're free. You follow that? Man, that is the most exciting thing. And it's ours. And if you're not walking in it, Start talking to the Lord about it. It's a process. It'll take some time. Let's just get on this deal where he's just healing us every day. We're talking to him about it, and it's working every day. May we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless this body. I bless these people with this business of your life and your peace and your power.